All right, open your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 25. Ezekiel chapter 25. And God has a message for Ammon. A message for Ammon. So here now in chapter 25, we come to a new section that beginning with chapter 25 through chapter 32 that deals with the prophecies concerning the nations around Israel. Prior to that, we were studying uh, the judgment against Israel, but now the prophecies concerning the nations around Israel. All of these nations, you know, as, as far as we're concerned today, they have long disappeared from the face of the earth, and the prophecies about them have been literally fulfilled. Up to this point, Ezekiel has been giving out prophecies concerning Jerusalem and the land of Israel because the final exile of the children of Israel hasn't arrived yet. To the very end, the people you know, continue to hold on to the false hope to believe in the false hope and the urging and encouraging of the false prophets. They kept saying, hey, God's not going to destroy Jerusalem. He's not going to destroy the land of Israel. It's going to remain intact. And they continued to believe the false prophets. When the destruction of Jerusalem finally did come, the people were shocked. They were floored. Ezekiel's prophecies were right on the money. It came to pass just as they said they would again, showing the, the, the truth of God's word, that it's going to come to pass. Now, there's a great message for us in this chapter. Here's God's city lying in ruins. And there's a man by the name of Jeremiah standing over that city. Tears are running down his face. He's a man with a broken heart. He's the one who reflects the one who will be coming to earth in 500 years or so from that time. He'll also sit over Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives. Remember, and he wept. He said, I gather you like, a, like chicks under a mother's wings. He said, but you weren't willing. So Jesus wept over Jerusalem, knowing the destruction that was coming again because his people have turned their backs on the true and the living God. Then there's another prophet, but he's not weeping. And here's why. And this speaking of Ezekiel. In our last study, remember, his time, the, the, that was, this was the time that his wife died. She was the desire of his eyes. And the scriptures made it clear that he loved her. But the prophet Ezekiel was told not to mourn for her. Now on the surface, it seems cold-hearted. But God told Ezekiel he had to do that. It had to be that way. Jeremiah and Ezekiel show us the two sides of God in this matter. And this is something we need to understand today. God, without a doubt, is tender-hearted. He's, he's compassionate. He's like Jeremiah. The Lord Jesus is merciful and kind. He wasn't willing that any should perish, so he died on the cross for us. But listen to what he says to the cities that rejected him. Jesus said, what sorrows await you? Chorazin and Bethsaida. For if the miracles I did in you had been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, their people would have repented of their sins long ago, clothing themselves in burlap and throwing ashes on their heads to show their remorse. <clears throat> yes, Tyre and Sidon will be better off on, that, on, the, on judgment day than you. And you people of Capernaum, will you be honored in heaven? No. 
you will go down to the place of the dead, Hades. Those are pretty strong words coming from gentle Jesus. He also said in Luke eleven forty four, Yes, what sorrow awaits you, for you are like hidden graves in a field. People walk over you without knowing the corruption they're stepping on. The Lord condemned them in a very harsh way. And you have to see and you have to understand that there are two sides to God. But you see, we get a twisted view of God when all we hear is, oh, God is love. God cares about your happiness. God doesn't want you to be unhappy. He wants you to have the desires of your heart. God is love. But don't forget that God is also holy and he's righteous. And he will judge. You know, you're not cruising to heaven through the tunnel of love. You'll go to heaven only under certain, certain conditions. And that is if you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, who shed his blood, gave his life on a cross for you and me. Then you'll have eternal life because you'll be covered with the righteousness of Christ. You'll be covered with his righteousness. And you'll be standing complete and you'll be acceptable to the Father in him. But if you reject his salvation, all you can expect is the judgment and fiery indignation of God. There are a lot of confused people today running around talking about the love of God. But we can't forget that he's also a God of judgment. So now we come to the judging of the nations around Israel here in chapter 25, starting with chapter 25. The Gentile nations that were in the surrounding area of the kingdom of Judah, they were happy to see Jerusalem destroyed, just like people today are rejoicing at what happened to, to, to Jerusalem when they were attacked, to, in Israel when they were attacked. People rejoicing. During Israel's wonderful days, when their nation was great, the Jews had been a separated people. And this, is really, uh, this really irritated their neighbors. Because the Jews said that Jehovah was the only true and living God. Now that meant that the other nations worshipped only dead idols. Both Saul and David had fought many of these nations on the battlefield. And the Gentiles remembered and resented those embarrassing defeats. But as the kingdom of Judah drifted away from the Lord, the Jewish people adopted the gods and the practices of the Gentiles. And to their neighbors, when they saw this, they looked like nothing more than hypocrites. Because you see, they were saying, hey, if, if Jehovah is the true and living God, why do you guys, why do you Jews need other gods? And why would the kings of Judah look to human partners? That is, why would they look to man to protect them if Jehovah God is able to take care of them? Nothing made the Gentiles happier than to be able to laugh at the Jews in their day of embarrassment. And say that there, that is, the Gentiles' gods were stronger than the gods the Jews worshipped. But what the nations didn't realize was that the destruction of Jerusalem wasn't just punishment of the Jews. It was also a warning to the Gentiles. If the righteous will be judged and dealt with according to their works here on earth, how much more then will the ungodly and the sinner be judged and dealt with according to their works here on earth? The psalmist said in Proverbs eleven thirty one, if the righteous are rewarded here on earth, what will happen to wicked sinners? If God shows his wrath against his own people, what will it be like for those who do not obey the gospel of God? 
Peter said in 1 Peter 4, 17 and 18, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? There's a huge difference between a loving parent chastening a child and a judge punishing a guilty criminal. Israel knew God's word. And yet they sinned against this abundance of knowledge that they had of God's word and the light that God gave them to see. But the Gentiles had the clear witness of creation. Paul said in Romans, they know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. Look around at the creation, the birds, the, the clouds, the sky, the trees, the plant life, everything around us. Paul said, for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible attributes, his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. He said, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. So they have creation to know and to show them that there was God. They also have a conscience. Romans 2, verses 11 through 16, it says, even Gentiles who do not notice, even Gentiles who don't have God's written word show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they're doing right. Their conscience lets them know there's a God. They knew God. The problem was they wouldn't acknowledge God. They wouldn't worship Him as God. They wouldn't even give Him thanks. And because they wouldn't acknowledge God and they wouldn't worship God, they began to think up foolish ideas about what God is like. And boy, you talk to people about God and that's all you're going to hear is foolish ideas about God. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. And as a result, God abandoned them. Romans says three times, he gave them up. He gave them up. You see, God doesn't bless obedience. He gives you up. He gave them up, Paul said, to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. So he said they did vile and degrading things. Men with men, women with women. But God was also judging the Gentiles for the way they treated his people. Because this was the covenant promise that he had made with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. God told Ezekiel to set his face against the nations. Tell them, judgment is coming. Verses 1 through 7 covers the prophecy against Ammon. The Ammonites, the Moabites, and the Edomites were blood relatives of the Jews. The Ammonites and Moabites were related to Israel through Lot, Abraham's nephew. Ammon and Moab were the two sons, remember, born out of the incestuous, incestuous, uh, incestuous relations of Lot and, and two of his daughters in Genesis 19. Edom is another name for Jacob's twin brother Esau. Edom means red, and Jacob fathered the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, you would think that the nations related by blood would have been supportive of one another. But these three nations had a long-standing hatred against Israel and kept the feud going. And man, it's been going ever since. 
Now notice in these judgment messages that God gives the reason for the judgment by using the word because and a description of the judgment as a result, therefore. So the Ammonites had a very bad beginning. They were a nomadic or a wandering race who descended from an incestuous relationship between Lot and his younger daughter. Their country was located along the Dead Sea. And God said they would become subjects of King Nebuchadnezzar, and they were. And now God gives the reason for his judgment against them, beginning with verses 1 and 2 now in chapter 25. Verses 1 and 2, it says, The word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel, saying, Son of man, set your face against the Ammonites and prophesy against them. Again, the Ammonites were well known for their extremes in worshiping idols and for their cruelty and their pride and their opposition to God's people. The Ammonites were some of the bitterest enemies of Israel and Judah. A sad testimony to the ungodliness that Lot and his daughters brought with them when they left Sodom. The daughters thought that there was no one to carry on the family name. Now, they didn't go to God for a solution. Instead, they got their father drunk, then had sex with him, and both of them became pregnant by him. And their descendants, the two sons, became enemies of all that was good and godly. Look at verse 3. Say to the Ammonites, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God, because, now here's his reason for the judgment, because you said, aha, against my sanctuary when it was profane and against the land of Israel when it was desolate and against the house of Judah when they went into captivity. The Ammonites cheered. That's this, the word here, aha, is an expression of hateful delight. That is, they said, aha, they were delighted. They were happy for the enemy that destroyed Israel. And they were partners with those, that enemy that destroyed Israel. They hated God's people. But the same enemy ended up destroying the Ammonites. In Jeremiah chapter 49, verse 6, we read about them. God says, but I will restore the fortunes of the Ammonites in days to come. I, the Lord, have spoken. God judged them so that they might know that he is the Lord. And verse 3 speaks of sending the message. Notice it says, say to the Ammonites. God is doing the talking here in verse 3. He's sending Ezekiel to speak to the Ammonites. God is the one who determines our call. We don't decide our calling ourselves by ourselves. God decides our calling and he lets us know what it is. And the reason that many people miss their calling is because they don't pay attention to what God is saying. Or they don't like the calling. And they're not willing to submit to their calling. In verse 3 God also speaks of, Ezekiel is speaking of submission in the message. God says, hear, he says, hear the word of the Lord God. The word hear means more than just hearing some audible sound. It also means to hearken. There are five special uh, uh, words here which mean attention to. So there are five special attention to's, pay attention to the word of God. Man is to submit to God, God's divine message. God's message isn't entertainment, it's exhortation. Verse 3 also speaks of the source of the message. Notice it says, hear the word of the Lord God. The Lord God is the source of the message. Ezekiel was to preach God's word, and that's the calling of all preachers. 
Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, verse 2, he said, preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not, in season or out of season. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. Also in verse 3, it speaks of the message. It says, give the Ammonites this message from the sovereign Lord. Hear the word of the sovereign Lord because you cheered. Notice, because you cheered, you said, aha, when my temple was defiled, mocked Israel in her desolation, and you laughed at Judah as she went away into, into exile. So the subject of the message is the Ammonites' bad attitude towards God and his people. They mocked the defiling of the temple. They mocked the devastation of the land, and they mocked the displacement of God's people. There are a lot of people they like the Ammonites. They could care less about honoring God. They could care less about the fact that his people are treated cruelly. We see that today. They're basically glad when these things happen to God's people. And there are many that are calling out, God, about, uh, 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 calling out against God's people today. But judgment will come because of their attitude, and we'll see that later. Look at verses 4 through 6 now. Indeed, therefore, I will deliver you as a possession to the men of the east. And they shall set their encampments among you and make their dwellings among you. And they shall eat your fruit and they shall drink your, your milk. And I will make Rabbah a stable for camels and Ammon or Ammon a resting place for flocks. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. For thus says the Lord God, because you clapped your hands stamped your feet, and rejoiced in heart with all your disdain for the land of Israel. So Ezekiel prophesied four coming judgments of the Ammonites. First, they would also be taken captive. They wouldn't escape unharmed from the invasion of King Nebuchadnezzar's army. Their land would also be occupied by the desert tribes of Arabs who lived to the east of the Ammonites. Secondly, their, cab their, their capital, Rabbah, would be destroyed. And it would no longer be a great city, but it would end up being a habitation, a pasture place, a place where camels live. The former capital, Ammon, Ammon, would be desolate and overgrown after God brought judgment. The reason for this judgment is repeated. Ammon gloated and rejoiced over the fall of Jerusalem, it says in verse 6. And then verse 7, third, he goes on to say, Indeed, therefore, I will stretch out my hand against you and give you as a plunder to the nations. I will cut you off from the peoples and I will ca uh, cause you to perish from the countries and I will destroy you and you shall know that I am the Lord. Ammon would be plundered by the nations around them. They would become a spoil of war. And then the country would disappear from the group of nations. And the accuracy of Ezekiel's prophecy is proven by history. Ammon, as a nation, no longer existed after it was destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar and ransacked by those who live in the desert from the east. So the fate of Ammon confirmed the truth and the validity of the message of judgment announced by God's prophets. And then verses 8 through 11 covers the prophecy against Moab. Look at verse 8. Thus the Lord said, thus the, the Lord God, 
Uh, Thus says the Lord God, because Moab and Seir say, look, the house of Judah is like all the nations. The Moabites descended, as I said, from the older daughter of Lot in the same incestuous relation that produced Ammon. And as a result, they were also related to the Hebrews. The Moabites lived in the land east of the Dead Sea. When the Hebrews first approached the land after 40 years in the wilderness, it was the Moabites who who introduced them to Baal worship. Ezekiel listed Moab's crime as mocking Judah for being like the other nations there in verse 8. The purpose of their mocking was to contradict what Judah said about being God's chosen people. To the Moabites, it proved to the Moabites that the Jews were just like any other people. You know, they were saying, if you're such a special nation, why have you experienced such a humiliating defeat? And so the Moabites joined the Ammonites in helping the Babylonians when Jerusalem was attacked by King Nebuchadnezzar. Look at verses 9 through 11 now. Therefore, behold, I will clear the territory of Moab of cities, of the cities on its frontier, the glory of the country, Beth Shemosh, Belmion, and Kerjathaim. To the men of the east, I will give it as a possession together with the Ammonites, that the Ammonites may not be remembered among the nations. And I will execute judgments upon Moab, and they shall know that I am the Lord." Here Ezekiel prophesied that God would open or expose the border of Moab to invading forces. Towns that were usually well-guarded on the usually well-guarded border, they were especially vulnerable to the enemy. So if if the Moabites couldn't protect their border, the whole country would be at risk. The people of Moab were to suffer a similar fate as the Ammonites. They would be taken over by the desert people to their east, and they wouldn't be remembered in the family of nations. So this predict- prediction was also historically accurate. The Moabites, like the Ammonites, ceased to exist in the family of nations. So God's judgment on Ammon and Moab, and it is a statement, it is a commentary on the disastrous consequences of making the wrong choices. Listed there in verses 1 through 11. Lot never dreamed in a million years that when he chose to live in Sodom, his choice would affect his descendants forever. His children born to him were born to him in an immoral and sexual relation with his daughters became bitter enemies of God's people and Abraham's descendants. After this punishment, he says here, notice, they shall know that I am the Lord. So both the Ammonites And the Moabites will finally realize that there is no God but the true and living God of Judah. Now let's look at verses 12 through 14. Thus says the Lord God, because of what Edom did against the house of Judah by taking vengeance and has greatly offended by avenging itself on them, therefore thus says the Lord God, I will also stretch out my hand against Edom, cut off men and beasts from it, and make it desolate from Teman, Dedan shall fall by the sword. And I will lay my vengeance on Edom by the hand of my people Israel, that they may do in Edom according to my anger and according to my fury, and they shall know my vengeance, says the Lord God. So verses 12 through 14 covers the prophecy against Edom. Edom's, Edom hated the Jews. Edom's hatred of the Jews started when Esau foolishly sold his birthright 
to his brother Jacob. And when their mother plotted to get the blessing, you know, for her favorite son Jacob. Jacob went to Haran to live with his uncle, mainly to escape uh, uh, the, the anger and murderous heart of his brother Esau. Remember, Esau was so upset because uh, he, he said that, that his brother stole his birthright. He didn't steal it. He gave it away. Esau gave it away. You know, uh, you know uh, Jacob was more spiritually minded than Esau. And so, but he got angry because his father did, wasn't able to bless him. He gave it to Jacob. So Esau was angry and, and wanted to, to murder his brother. And that's why Jacob took off to Haran to escape his brother. Esau's descendants became pow- a powerful tribal chief. Or they became a powerful tribal chiefs, according to Genesis 36. But Jacob's sons became the founders of the 12 tribes of Israel, the people God chose to accomplish his great purposes on this earth. The prophet Obadiah wrote that God would destroy Edom because of the way they treated the Jews in Obadiah 1 through 13. When Jerusalem was being attacked, the Edomites cheered for the Babylonians. You know, we're just so happy, just cheering them on. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 137, 7, O Lord, remember what the Edomites did on the day the armies of Babylon captured Jerusalem. Destroy it, they yelled. Level it to the ground. So they didn't help the Jewish refugees who were trying to escape. Instead, the Edomites helped the Babylonians capture the people trying to get away. And they rejoiced over the terrible things that happened to the Jews. Along with the Babylonians, the Edomites looted the city and they robbed their own blood relatives. Sins against humanity are sins against God because humans are made in God's image. And the day came when Edom experienced the heavy hand of God, his judgment upon them. God's message to Edom here reminds us that, that, that family feuds are costly. And they often lead to pain and tragedy. The Edomites kept up their hatred for the Jews from generation to generation. Amos 1.11 says this. This is the word. This is what the Lord says. The people of Edom have sinned again and again. And I will not let them go unpunished, God said. They chased down their relatives, their Israelites, with swords, showing them no mercy. Booker T. Washington said, Let no man pull you so low as to make you hate him. Jesus said, But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Matthew 5, 44. Edom's hatred and hunger for revenge finally led to their ruin. Ezekiel will have more to say about, we'll see more of what Ezekiel has to say about Edom when we get to chapter 35. Now let's close with verses 15 through 17. Thus says the Lord God, because the Philistines dealt vengefully and took vengeance with a spiteful heart to destroy because of the old hatred, therefore thus says the Lord God, I will stretch out my hand against the Philistines, I will cut off the Cherethites and destroy the remnant of the seacoast, I will execute great vengeance on them with furious rebukes, and they shall know that I am the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon them. Verses 15 through 17 now covers the prophecy against Philistia. After the Israelites entered and conquered the land of Canaan, the neighboring Philistines became serious enemies. 
Among the judges, Shamkar and Samson attacked both of them. Attacked them both. And both Samuel and Saul had to put up with them. It was David who finally defeated the Philistines and they were kept under control throughout the reign of Solomon. And when the Jewish nation divided, the Philistines asserted their independence and they became successful merchants and, and traders among, uh, along with the Phoenicians. And the Philistines cultivated, I mean, they just called it this hatred for the Jews. And they took advantage of every chance they had to harass and to attack them. And that's happening today. Ezekiel wasn't the only prophet who prophesied God's judgment on the Philistines. The Philistines joined with Egypt and they tried to, to withstand them with them against King Nebuchadnezzar. But Babylon was too much for them and they were defeated and deported like the other defeated nations. So from the time of the judges, the Philistines were enemies of the Hebrews. A strong Jewish nation was always a threat to their control over the territory. So they opposed Israel in the early years of their statehood under the kings. Because of the Philistines' hatred for Israel, Ezekiel prophesied God's vengeance on them. Those who go against God... And his people never gain anything by it. You know, in Genesis, we read that, hey, those who curse uh, the Jews, God will curse. And those who bless the Jews, God will bless. You, you can't get away with opposing God's people. The prophecies against foreign nations show both God's concern for the redemption of all people and his determination to judge sin wherever and whenever his standards and his word are disobeyed. Father, we thank you so much for your wonderful word, God, and for the warnings that we have here. It's not just a message for that time, but again, it's a message for those of today, God. We can't oppose you, your standards, your word, who you are. We can't come against you and expect to be successful. We can't expect to get away with it. We will be tried. We will be judged. We will be sentenced. So, Father, may your spirit speak to our hearts. May he show us truth. May he show us, God, what we need to do in confessing our sins, laying them at the, upon the cross. Confessing our sins and receiving the cleansing of the blood of Jesus Christ. Walking with him, growing in him, becoming mature believers in Christ. So Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for your spirit. And we pray, Lord, that we would just look up, look to you, Lord. That we would see what's going on around us, Father. And we can see your hand upon us, your judgment, judgment upon us, Lord, in these last days. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.